Man, today is exciting for me because, man, Christmas is here. And I don't know about you, but, man, when Christmas gets here, I get more excited than Thor to two-for-one hammer sale. You know what I mean? I mean, Christmas is good. Christmas is so good, it'll make you love your mother-in-law, won't it? I mean, man, Christmas is amazing. And, uh, I mean, I love everything about, what's not to love about Christmas except maybe the traffic. I mean, we don't love the traffic. Uh, I mean, think about it. You know a baby that's born 2,000 years ago is, is important when he's still causing traffic jams today, right? I mean, but outside of the traffic, man, I love everything about Christmas. I love the music. Uh, I, I do. I really love the music. It plays in my office, you know, from now until Christmas. I've got Christmas music playing. I love the presents. Who doesn't love the presents? I, I love the food, obviously. I, I love, you know, the candies, the, the parties, the time with family. I love all of that, right? I, I, I love it all. People are more generous and people are more giving during this time. I mean, unless you're like in an Alabama mall, don't go to an Alabama mall at Christmas, obviously, right? If your deductible's not paid out, please don't go. You, you'll end up with a black eye or broke arm cast for Christmas. So uh, the, uh, uh, but I love everything about Christmas, but you and I both know that Christmas sort of gets lost in all these things, right? These things are not bad, but Christmas gets lost in all these things. I'm not a sci-fi guy at all. I, I, I generally don't watch sci-fi movies. I'm not a Star Trek-y. I'm not a, you know, all that sci-fi stuff. I, I don't like that stuff. But humor me for a moment. And imagine you're an alien and you come to visit Earth uh, over the next couple of weeks on a fact-finding mission to take back to your galaxy. What would you go back to your galaxy and say that Christmas is all about? Would you go back and say that Christmas is about Jesus or is it about Jingle Bells? Is it about a Savior or is it about Santa? Is it about Rudolph or is it about a Redeemer? What would you say based on what you would see all over our culture and our world? Listen, Christmas gets lost in all the people love to celebrate Christmas, but people have a tendency, most people celebrate the wrong things at Christmas, right? Christmas is not about uh, parties and eggnog and watching Christmas vacation over and over. I mean, those things are great. I love those things, but Christmas is not about those things. Christmas is about God sending his son to redeem his people. God sending his son to redeem his people. That's what Christmas is all about. You know, I, I read a story this week or last week as I was in preparation. And this week as I was in preparation uh, for the message, I read a story about an old man who was very wealthy. His wife had died and he had one son. It was just he and his son. And he had a passion for art. He loved collecting art. And his son, because of his passion, developed a passion for art. So together, they traveled all over the world collecting priceless almost pieces of art. From Van Gogh, Picasso. I mean, they, they, they collected Monet. They collected millions and millions of dollars worth of art together. And the father was just so happy to do this with his son. But war broke out, and his son felt compelled to go serve his country. And so he did. And uh, you might imagine what happened in the story is the son was killed in action. He was carrying a, he was rescuing, died very heroically, rescuing one of his comrades. He was carrying him to a medic and got killed in action. And this absolutely broke the father's heart. He was wandering around just a shell of himself. And one day on Christmas, actually, he heard a knock at the door, went to the door, and there was a soldier standing on his front porch with a package. And he introduced himself and said, hello, sir. Uh, he introduced himself and said, I was a friend of your son. I'm actually uh, the person he was rescuing when he died. If you will allow me to come in, I want to give you something. So the old man obliged, opened the door. He came in. Uh, he gave him the package. He began to unwrap it. It was a portrait of his son. The soldier said, I'm an artist. I'm not an accomplished artist, but I am an artist, and I painted this portrait of your son, and I wanted to give it to you for, at Christmas. 
Now, it was not a work of art. It was not a priceless painting. It was not a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination. But it what became the most valuable piece in the old man's collection because it had such significant meaning in his life. The old man finally died, and when he died, he had left uh, word for uh, all the paintings in his collection to be auctioned off. Well, the word got around the art world, and people from all over the world showed up at the auction house on the day of the auction. It was packed with all these art collectors. And the auctioneer stepped to the podium to begin uh, the, the auction. People were very excited, and he brought up the first painting to be auctioned, and it was the painting of the old man's son. Not a very pricey painting, not a very monetarily valuable uh, painting, but it was the first to be auctioned. And he said, we're going to start the auction with the son. Anybody bid $100, room was silent. There was no one bid on this painting because it was not a work of art. It was a personal painting to this man, but no one else really wanted this man's son. And, and so no, no one said a word. Finally, somebody in the room said, listen, we didn't come for the old man's son. We came for all these paintings. Let's get on with the good stuff. And the auctioneer said, no, you don't understand. The old man left word and left instructions that this painting had to be sold first. Finally, there was an older man in the back. And he, he, he said, I, I, know, I knew the old man and I had met his son. I'll bid $100 on the painting because of a relationship with him. And so he said, I'll bid $100. The auctioneer said, uh, we have a bid for $100. Is there anyone who will bid $150? No one said a word. It was silence. No one bid anything else. So the auctioneer finally said, going once, going twice, sold. And the moment he said sold, he dropped the gavel and he said, the auction is now over. Well, this caused an uproar within the auction house. People couldn't understand what was going on. They flew all this way uh, uh, from different countries all over the world for these multiple millions of dollars worth of art. And they said, what are you talking about? It's over. We didn't come for that painting. We came for all these other paintings. It can't be over. That's what we came for. Why are you saying it's over? And, and the auctioneer said, well, it's very simple. In his will, the old man said, whoever gets the son gets it all. Whoever gets the son gets it all. You know what? When I read that, I was like, you know what? That is exactly what Christmas is all about, isn't it? Whoever gets the son gets it all. Whoever gets the son gets it all. And you know, so you would say, well, what does all include? What, what, what's included in all? Uh, you know, because, listen, there's debates around. There's these thoughts that you hear from some preachers, some evangelists that might say, you know, if you get the sun, all includes, man, nice cars and nice homes and health and wealth. And I wish I could tell you that today, but that's just not what the Bible says. As a, as a matter of fact, when we read the Bible, when we see the apostles, the disciples, we see the followers of Jesus in the first century, we see the complete opposite of that. They were running for their lives, didn't have a place to lay their head. So it doesn't mean you're going to get nice cars necessarily. It doesn't mean you're going to get nice homes necessarily. I hope you do. But that's not what it means when you get sun. What does it mean? It means you get things that money can't buy. Right? He who gets the sun gets life. He who gets the sun gets peace. He who gets the sun gets joy, real joy. He who gets the sun gets fulfillment. He who gets the sun gets love. He who gets the sun gets it all. Things that money can't buy. Things that are more valuable than all those other things. Right? That's what Christmas is all about. That's what Advent's all about. We're celebrating today. We kick off a four-week uh, celebration of what we call Advent. Now, Advent is a word that means coming or arrival. We as Christians stand between two different realities. You see, we as Christians for centuries have celebrated the arrival of Jesus in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. 
right? I mean, man, we look back at Christmas. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is a time we celebrate. I'm all in with Christmas, right? I'm not one of these guys that says, oh, Christmas is a pagan holiday. That's, that, that, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. We don't believe necessarily Jesus was born on December 25th. We think he was probably even born more like in the spring. So we don't necessarily think he was born on December the 25th, but that's not what's important. What's important was that he was born. What's important is that we are celebrating Jesus putting on flesh and coming to earth. We look back. That's, that's his first arrival. That's one of the realities that we stand in the middle of. The other reality that we stand in the middle of as Christians is that he's coming back. He's going to return. Right? The first uh, time he came, 2,000 years ago, he came in Bethlehem. He was born in a, in a cave. Uh, he was put, laid, in a, laid in a manger. Man, he was, he was born to, to, to poor uh, uh, couple. He wasn't born in a palace. He, he was born as a suffering servant, not a conquering hero, not a conquering warrior. But the second time he comes will be radically different. The second time he will be the conquering warrior. The second time he will come in victory and he will come as judge. And, uh, so, so we stand between those two realities. And so we as Christians for hundreds of years we look back to Christmas and we thank God for sending his son. And then we look forward to his second arrival. That's what Advent is all about. Now we're going to celebrate it for the next four weeks. But we don't want you to just celebrate it with us on the weekend. We want you to celebrate it daily. Right? We want you to celebrate it daily. Uh, this is an incredible time for you to teach your kids, if you have kids at home, the things of God. This is an incredible time if you're a young married couple without kids for you to establish some traditions that hopefully will be a part of your kids' lives that will, they will pass down to their kids. If you're an older couple, you're, maybe you're, your kids are gone, this is a great time for you to reflect and even pass some things along to your grandkids. If you're single, this is a time for you to focus on the fact that Christmas is about a redeemer, uh, not, you know, uh, all of the other things, not Rudolph, but a redeemer. No matter what stage of life you find yourself in, this is a great time for you to celebrate. Now, we want to help you. And so if you'll go to our website at lifepointchurch.org advent, lifepointchurch.org advent, you will find on our website a lot of resources. A lot of resources. You'll find devotionals uh, here. That you'll find daily readings uh, that you can do. Uh, you'll find ways to do an advent wreath. Right? I mean, an Advent wreath, like we, we've got an Advent, we call it a wreath. I know it's a, it's a, you know, it's, they're in a straight line because it's easier for you to see, but it doesn't matter if it's round or in a straight line. What, what you're doing and what you're thinking about really does. And so Advent wreaths are hugely important for, for us and, and, and for our family and teaching uh, our kids and hopefully you as, as you've got five candles on an Advent wreath, right? You have the candle that Micah uh, has already uh, lit today is called the prophecy candle, and it really is a four-week journey to remind us. The prophecies are the hope. You know, it's a dark world in Israel, and they have hope. The prophets spoke of hope, so it's the prophecy candle. The next candle will be the Bethlehem candle, uh, you know, or the candle of preparation, and then we talk about that, and, and then we go down, and then the, last, the center candle, the big white, is the Christ candle, right, that we light on Christmas Eve, and so uh, at Christmas Day, and so, so we want you to do these at home. We want you to celebrate with us, bring people with you, but do them at home, okay? Go to our website, look for all these resources, and start new traditions that hopefully will be a part of your generational tradition in your family, okay? And so today, we're going to talk about the hope candle. We're going to talk about the hope candle. And if we need anything in our world, it's hope. 
We look out at our world and we see sometimes very hopeless stuff going on in our world. We see some very dark stuff going on in our world. We need some light. We need some hope, right? Today we're going to talk about the hope candle. And we're going to talk about what this means and what we celebrate at Christmas to remind you that he who gets the sun gets it all. And one of the all is hope. And man, I want some hope. I need hope. And uh, I know you do too. And so we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, which is a prophetic word of God to the people of Israel, okay, that gives them hope in a dark time. That's what the prophecies were. So let's look at this. You're going to know if you grew up in church or if you didn't grow up in church, maybe you've, maybe you've been a, a believer or in church for four or five years, you probably are familiar with verses 6 and 7 at Christmas time. Huge Christmas prophetic verses, okay? Uh, maybe you didn't, and that's great. If not, because you're going to know them today, and, and we're going to break down and see what it's all about. So let's look at this hope verse, this verse full of hope in a very dark time. The prophet Isaiah says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Now, as we read this, one of the things I want you to notice about it, it's in past tense. He's prophesying about what will happen really 700 years before Jesus is when Isaiah is speaking these words. This is 700 years. But he's speaking as if it is in past tense. Why? This is a prophetic way of guaranteeing it will happen. So you're going to notice a past tense deal here. You're going to notice a lot of upbeat passage in a dark time. Why? Because he's sharing hope in a dark world. So, so with that being said, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Past tense, was in anguish. In the former time, he brought her into contempt, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea. He's made it glorious. Hadn't happened yet, but it's going to. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Galilee is where Jesus did his ministry. The people who walked, past tense, in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as the fuel for the fire. Now verses 6 and 7, very familiar at Christmas. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of, the, and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal, now pay attention to this last word, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So as we look at this, you've got Isaiah 9 through 1 through 7. It's a prophetic word. Now anytime we come to uh, the Old Testament, especially prophecy, we have to look at that word from two different angles. One angle is a historical angle. We have to know what's going on at the time this was written. Why did Isaiah say these words? Who is he speaking to? And what is the cultural context, the historical context that he's writing these things into, right? 
And so that's the first angle. We have to know history. This gives us context. Then the second angle is the prophetic word, the prophetic angle of this. In other words, what is he in the time that they're living in and what's happening, what is he predicting will happen and prophesying will happen? We can't miss either one of these. If we do, we could miss the entire meaning of the passage. So let me tell you what's going on historically. Let's look at the historical angle of this. In the historical angle, as Isaiah is writing these words to Israel, here's what's happening. Israel is on a long, slow drift away from God. That happened many times in the life of Israel. They're drifting from God. They're worshiping idols because they're led by a wicked king. And they're worshiping idols and God's bringing judgment because rebellion always brings consequences, right? I mean, that happens in my life and your life when we rebel. And rebel means I'm not doing what God tells me to do or I'm, I'm doing what he tells me not to do. I'm rebelling against God's word, whatever that means. Every time that happens, it's going to bring consequences, right? And so Israel's in rebellion. Consequences are coming. They're led by a wicked king, Ahaz. Perhaps you've heard of wicked King Ahaz. They're led by this wicked king. I mean, he was ruthless. He was wicked. And uh, there are two other wicked kings that have formed an alliance. And they're getting ready to come and lower the boom on Israel. And they're going to destroy Israel. Now, Ahaz does what God tells him not to do. He gets desperate. And so he goes and he himself develops an alliance with the wicked king of of Assyria. Now, why was that crazy? They're getting ready to be attacked by two kings who formed an alliance who's going to overpower them. And so, you know, in in, in our mind, the smart thing to do would be to get an ally, to to get someone to align with you, right? But God had told him specifically, God had told Israel, do not form alliances with wicked pagan kings because their influence will cause you to shipwreck your faith. That makes sense, right? That makes total sense. This is why the Bible clearly says for Christians to not marry non-Christians. If you're a Christian, the Bible, uh, the command for Christians is to marry Christians, right? I mean, you spend, if you're single, you spend a lot of time looking for the right person. I'm going to tell you, don't look for the right person. Look for the right type person, okay? The right person will be in there, all right? But the right type person is someone who doesn't just have a spiritual pulse, someone who loves Jesus, right? Now, this makes sense, right? I mean, because you know that the people that you hang out with, the people that are in your life, the things that you watch, the things that you listen to, the music, the things that you read, all those things that you put in, they form and they shape how you see the world, how you respond, how you react. They form your worldview. And so God had told Israel, do not form alliances with wicked pagan kings because they will, their influence will cause you to shipwreck your life. But Ahaz was full of himself. Ahaz thought he was smarter. Ahaz said, he knew that God had said that, but he said it makes really no sense. I I need some help. I need some protection. I know God said that, but this is really the right thing to do. I'm smarter than God. So God sends Isaiah. Isaiah comes in to talk to Ahaz, and he says, Ahaz, what are you doing here? Do not go into this wicked alliance with this wicked king. God has said for you not to do this. Ahaz basically says, Isaiah, look, you know about worship. Let me take care of war. You go and talk about faith. Let me talk about fighting. Okay? He says, Isaiah, listen, you don't know anything about politics or military or war. That's my job. This is what we're going to do. You go do your thing. Let me do my thing. He did, and exactly what God said would happen would happen. And uh, these nations come in, and they pummeled Israel. 
I mean, man, people, many people died. There were families torn apart. There were generations carried off into captivity. That's the historical setting that Isaiah is writing in chapter 9. That's the historical setting. And then the prophetic setting is the gospel. You see, the historical setting is a deep, dark and hopeless time for the nation of Israel. I mean, man, they are in captivity. They are, they are, they are absolutely beaten down. They're separate. It's a dark, gloomy time. But Isaiah comes in in prophecy, and he speaks into that historical time when they're, the, the, the moment is dark. And he says, listen, I know that you've experienced incredible defeat, but you will experience victory. I know you're in a dark place, but light is coming. That's why it's so upbeat. It is a message of hope to a dark and hopeless world. That's why it's so upbeat. The prophetic word here is the gospel, right? The, the prophetic word is the gospel because uh, what, what he is looking about, at here and what he's saying is he's talking about God's great salvation. It's not just, uh, although he's writing, and, and, and as I said, you have to look at it from two angles. Historically, Israel is in a dark place. They're in captivity. Isaiah is saying God will redeem. God will uh, rescue. God is in control. You're in a dark place. Light's coming. That's the historical context. But prophetically, he's not talking about Israel just in their, uh, in their physical captivity, in their, in their really physical dark place. He's talking about the spiritual captivity and the spiritual darkness. He's talking about God's great salvation that will come at that moment 700 years later. Because listen, not only were they in captive to a foreign nation, they were in captive, captivity to sin. And that's the darkness motif. You see, in, in Scripture, there's a huge contrast between light and darkness. You see this all through Scripture, don't you? Why? Because dark, darkness and light are just totally opposites. They contrast more than anything else. That's why, have you ever said, man, they're as different as night and day? I mean, you got two kids, and, and man, you know, you probably said, man, my two kids are as different as night and day. What do you mean by that? You mean, man, they they're complete opposites. Right? And so there's these motif all the way through Scripture of darkness and light. Why? Because darkness in Scripture represents sin, a life dominated by sin. It represents this life of hopelessness. No matter how much fun you have, no matter how much you laugh, because people who don't know God laugh and have fun, okay? But it's fleeting and it's a moment, right? But there's no internal true joy and peace that brings this satisfaction and hope to life, right? So darkness in the Bible is a life separated from God. It is a life of sin, a life separated from, from God. Light is represented, representative of a life with God. Jesus is the light of the world, right? And so, so Isaiah here in historical is telling Israel, he's telling Israel, God will bring you out. I know it's dark, but you can have hope. Why? Because God always keeps his promise and because God is in control and because he said, notice what he said in verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What do you mean? You can bank on it. God said it, you can bank on it. God's going to bring you out, bank on it. That gives you hope, right? That gives you hope, right? Well, the prophetic message here is, look, I know you're in sin, Ever since Adam and Eve bit the dust in the Garden of Eden, the world has been in darkness of sin. 
God promised in Genesis 3 uh, that, the, that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That was the first prophetic word of hope. Listen, I know you're expelled from the garden, Adam and Eve. I know now you had this intimate relationship with me. It's broken now, and you're experiencing great anguish and darkness within your soul, but there's hope. I'm going to take care of it. There's hope. I'm going, to I'm going to bridge the gap between you and I when I send my son. This was in Genesis 3. Now, 700 years before that happens, Isaiah is still uttering the promise, and he says, there's hope. There's hope in this spiritually dark world. Now, think about the word hope. Micah talked about all the ways we use it. We use it every day in our, in our everyday vernacular. Well, you might have used it this morning. Man, I hope, man, I, have, I hope my coffee's good, right? I, I, I hope it doesn't rain today. Uh, man, this time of year you're probably going, maybe this weekend, I hope the in-laws don't stay too long, right? I mean, uh, I hope she doesn't burn up the credit card at Christmas, you know? I, I, I hope, right? I hope the Titans win today. I hope Tennessee hires somebody that can spell football this time. Right? I mean, we use hope in everyday vernacular, and it's used also over 200 times in the Scripture, the Word. And in the Scripture, uh, when we use it, we're talking about this wishful thinking, right? I, I don't know, but I hope so kind of word, right? I don't know, man, uh, uh, but I hope we win. I, I don't know, but I hope we make the play. I don't know, but I hope. My, you know, the, the, it's a wishful thinking type. But that's not the way it's used in the Bible. The way it's used in the Bible is not wishful thinking. The way it's used in the Bible is a guaranteed, enthusiastic, contagious enthusiasm about the future because of a declared word of God. So it's not hope so, it's no so. That's why I have hope. I know it's dark now. But listen, I know what God's promised, so I have hope. It's this contagious enthusiasm for what will come. It might be dark, but you can look to the future with confidence and expectation because of the hope of God's word. Matter of fact, let me look at Romans 15, 13. Paul said this in Romans 15, 13. Paul said, may the God of hope, he's the God of hope. That tells us something about his nature. He's the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. And peace. You see, hope, because of real hope, we can have joy. We can have peace, right? Man, may he fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. How are you going to abound in hope? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Who has the Holy Spirit? Those who believe in Jesus. You see, those who get the Son get it all. And the Holy Spirit is part of the all, right? He lives within you and he produces his hope within you. He produces this hope that's not wishful thinking. It's contagious enthusiasm uh, because you're sure of the future. You see, the hope that we have uh, in all these things is, is based on probabilities, right? I mean, if you're a, you, some of you are math, math guys and gals and you know what probabilities are, but the hope so kind of hope, the wishful thinking hope, it's based off of probabilities, right? But the, pro, the, the hope that we have in God is not based off of probabilities, it's based off of promise. Let me, let me give you some examples here of why it's different. Okay, man, I, I hope I get a promotion, right? Now, I hope you get a promotion too. If you're saying, I hope I get a promotion, man, I hope you get a promotion, but that's based off of probabilities. There's a lot of things that can help you get a promotion. There's a lot of things that can keep you from getting a promotion, right? 
I mean, politics in the office, uh, you know. I mean, I know there's no politics in your office, but there's politics, you know, that can keep you from getting promotion. Someone can come in, uh, have a bigger sale. Someone can do this. Uh, this could happen. That could happen. The company could, could do something. I mean, a lot of probabilities that, that come into play in whether you get that promotion, really. We know that, right? I hope that if I put enough money in my 401k, maybe one day before I die, I will be able to retire and enjoy it a little bit, right? Well, I mean, listen, there's all kind of probabilities in, into that scenario, right? I mean, man, you know the stock market. I mean, a frog dies in China and the stock market, oh, frog died, it goes down. A butterfly lands in Brazil, oh, the stock market goes up because there's a, it'll go down and up based off of everything. It's the most volatile, I mean, it's the most sensitive thing I've ever seen. It's like, don't watch it, right, because it's crazy. You'll never figure it out. But we know a lot of the economical factors play into the probability of whether our 401k is going to rise or fall or if we're going to make enough money to retire and win and all that. That's all based off of probabilities, right? That's all based off of probabilities. But let me tell you, God's promises, I, I, I mean, I, the hope that we have in Christ is not based off of probabilities. You know, it's different. It's based off of promises. It's based off of God's promises. And I want you to remember what Titus says about God. God cannot lie, right? And you know how many promises God's made us in Scripture? Well, I don't even know. Why, why? Because there are so many. I tried to look it up this week. You know what I found? The lowest figure I found was 3,500 and some promises. The highest figure was 8,000 and some promises. And I'm like, that's a big discrepancy. Why is there such a variance in, in the number of promises of God? And, and, and as everybody I read said, you know what? Everything I read said, it's, they're just too many to count. I mean, you find this. You, I mean, think about the promises that you know of, right? What has God promised you? Well, here's what God's promised you. God's promised that if you truly got the Son, you get it all. He's promised that. If you truly got the Son, if you are truly redeemed, if you're truly saved, if you're truly born again, if you've truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, truly, I, there's a lot of people out there that claim Jesus that aren't true Christians. That's why I keep saying truly, okay? You know that as well as I know that. If you're truly a Christian, you know what, the, you know what the God's promised you? He's promised that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That means I'm not going to be condemned. He's promised that I'm forgiven. Right? So what that means is, is when I mess up today, and I probably will, okay? Matter of fact, I just did by saying probably. That was some sort of a lie because I know I will. Right? So I, when I mess up today, you know what's going to happen? When I mess up, and it might be a little mess up, and I'm like, uh -huh, but then I might mess up, and I might, it might grieve my soul, and I'm like, God, I'm sorry, and I can begin to feel bad, and, and you should. That's called conviction, and that's a good thing, but then that leads to what's called repentance, and that's a good thing. But here's what happens when someone that really doesn't understand the promises of God is they can ask God to forgive them, not because he hasn't forgiven it, because God has said he has already forgiven every sin you've ever committed. Those are in him. That's why there's no condemnation. That means the sin I commit tomorrow is done. It's, it, it's forgiven. Now, I need to confess it. I need to confess it because of relationship. But what happens is I can begin to let that thing roll over in my mind. I can begin to let that thing keep me from being who I need to be. I can let, let that thing begin to bog down my Christian life. You, you've done that, haven't you? But I know the promise of God, I'm forgiven. There's no condemnation. It's done. It is finished, Jesus said. That's a promise, right? And so I, 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 I'm not condemned. That gives me great hope. I'm forgiven. That gives me great hope, right? 
He, he, he promises that nothing for those who are in him can take you out of his hand. Did you know that? Nothing. I'm not going to get there one day and, I, oh man, I hope I get to heaven. That's that wishful thinking. No, I know I'm going to heaven. Believe me, that's not based on any kind of probability. That's not based on the probability that I will do more good than bad or the probability that I'll stay strong. That's based on the promise of God for those he has redeemed. I know I'm going. Do you know what kind of hope that gives me? Man, it gives me hope every Saturday in the fall. At least I'm going to heaven. That's what I say after every Tennessee game. Right? I'm so glad that mess is over for the fall. Listen, I've got hope. I've got hope, right, because of the promises of God. He's promised he's returning, right? He's promised that I will be made new. Now think about that. You need to be, we, we want to be made new, don't we? I mean, man, I, I'm 51 years old now. I, I, I'm 51 years old, and here's what I know. Man, my old knee just doesn't work like it used to. You, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, man, my chest done fell into my stomach, Right? I mean, man, I used to have red hair ahead of it. Now I've got antique gray, and rather than on my head, it sort of comes out my ears every now and then. And I mean, Amy's like, get them hairs out of your ears. She's in there plucking my hair. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, everything just starts falling apart at some point, right? I went glass. I had to have these, these progressive bifocals. I mean, I used to be able to see a gnat on a dog at 100 yards, right? Now I can't see, I mean, in front of me. What? I mean, you know, I, you start falling apart, right? Because why? Man, we're in a world of sin. It was broke by sin. That's why you ache. That's why you wake up in the morning and pop. You know, you sound like a 4th of July getting out of the bed. I mean, listen, that's why you smell like Ben Gay all the time, you know? It's like every time I smell Ben Gay on somebody, I'm like, boy, that's sin. Right? That's the effects of sin. I mean, that's the effect. Why do you do that? Listen. Because you're falling apart. But you know what God's promise is? You're going to be made new. And then I give you great hope. I'm not going to always walk with a gimp, you know. I'm going to be made brand new. All of these are promises of God. We could go on and on and on. And Titus says God cannot lie. And so what does this mean? This means, this means for the Christians. This passage is a passage of great hope because here's what it says. That Christmas, because of Christmas, because Jesus Christ was born. God sent his son to redeem his people. And if you're redeemed, here's what, that, here, here's what that means. No matter what you came in here with today, and some of you came in here carrying a heavy load. You came in here with chaos. You came in here with stress. You came in here with tensions, and I don't know what they are. Maybe they're job-related. Maybe they're mar marriage-related. Maybe you think, man, I, my marriage is in the tank. I don't know what to do. Maybe it's child-related. Maybe your children are off the rails. Maybe your children are not saved. Maybe your parents are not saved. Man, may, there's all these stuff that's going on in your life, and there's some chaos. Maybe you've lost your mom or your dad or your child, or, uh, and, and this time of year is literally devastating for you because you've got all these memories, and they're not there now. And it creates this tension within you. And you know what? Life is not just roses and puppies and rainbows. It is tough because of sin. It's tough. And here's the deal. In all those things, I want to help you that come in with all kind of tension to know God's promises and look to Jesus and have hope. Look to the gospel and have hope. You can, not because of probability, but because of the promises of God. This is what Christmas is all about. It's what we're celebrating, the hope we have because of Jesus. Now, a lot of people talk about this Christian hypocrisy, right? 
And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't like hypocrisy. There's a lot of Christian hypocrites. You know that. I said earlier, there's a lot of people who claim to know Jesus. They really don't. And so people call them hypocrites because, man, they claim something and that's not how they live. And, and I, I, that, that irks me too, right? I like people. Here's what I want. You, you see what you get, Right? That's what I've always determined to be. You see what you get. I'm not going to be one person at the office. I'm not going to be one person on stage and a different person in my house or a different person in my car. I'm going to be who I am, and I want you to be that way. And hypocrisy just irks me. But here's what I want you to understand. There's also a form of secular hypocrisy that's just as real and just as goofy. Let me give you an example. You've got all kind of people that's going to tell you what's wrong with the world and how to fix it, Right? I mean, man, you, you, you go home and watch TV. And you, I mean, take Oprah, for example. Oprah is telling the world what's wrong with the world and how to fix it. Now, Oprah doesn't believe that, that, that really sins the problem. She believes everybody goes to heaven and it's all a spiritual thing and, and you just got to get outside yourself and all these things. You, you, you know what she says. But Oprah says, this is what's wrong. This is how to fix it. And everybody goes to heaven. And you know what everybody does? Everybody's like, oh, I, she gets me. I love her so much. Nobody's offended by what Oprah says. Nobody. Did you notice that? Have you ever noticed that Oprah offends nobody? What she says is like, oh, it's just like everybody, all you got to do is find this and find, and nobody's offended. Oh, she gets me and I love her. You ever watch Dr. Phil? Yeah, what's Dr. Phil say is wrong? Dr. Phil, you, every day, you watch Dr. Phil sometime. Uh, Dr. Phil says, well, I'll tell you what the problem is. The problem is you're an idiot. That's what's the problem. You're an idiot, right? And, and, and when you're an idiot, uh, here, here's what happens. You're an idiot, and then people go, this is amazing stuff. This guy just said I'm an idiot. I love this guy, right? I mean, everybody's going to tell you what's wrong and how to fix it, right? But here's what happens, and nobody's offended by any of that. Nobody. But you let someone get up, read the Bible, and say, you know what the problem is? The problem is sin. That's why the world's dark, because people have rebelled against God. You know what the answer is? A baby born in a manger 2,000 years ago, his name was Jesus. That's why we celebrate Christmas, not just happy holidays. That's why this is about a baby born in a manger, not just a baby, but the king of kings born in a manger 2,000 years ago. It's not about eggnog and watch a Christmas, uh, you know, Christmas vacation over and over, although I love those things. It's about Jesus. So the problem is sin. That's why the world's dark and the answer is Jesus. You say that, and you know what happens? People get offended out of their mind because that's the spiritual blindness in our world. And so here's what I want you to understand. What I want you to understand and what I hope today as we today focus, as we begin Advent and as we focus on the hope candle, I want you to have hope. If you don't know Jesus, if you have never surrendered to him, listen, you can have fun. You're going to laugh at Christmas. You can have fun. You can have, enjoy times in your life. But the hope that produced by the Holy Spirit that gives you a contagious enthusiasm that is a sure thing about the future is just not there. We want you to have that. If your hope is in somebody solving your problem, if your hope is in the government solving your problem, if your hope is in a, a husband or a wife fixing it, if your hope is in your kids fixing it, if your hope is in the church fixing it, you're going to be hopeless because only one thing can fix it, and that's Jesus. And if you don't know him, come back and talk to us. We want you to have the hope that only he can give. If you are a believer, man, here's what I want you to understand. No matter what you bring in, no matter how dark life may be, 
no matter where you might be, Jesus brings hope. Look to Jesus, look to the gospel and get hope. Look to Jesus, look to the gospel, and remember, he is a God who keeps his promises, a God who cannot lie. He is a God who has promised, and he is a God who is in control and have hope. Man, we're, we're, we're glad you're here today. We hope you come back and celebrate with us each and every week as we celebrate uh, um, Advent. Don't just celebrate here, celebrate at home. Bring someone back with you as we talk about the preparation candle, the Bethlehem candle next week, okay? As we talk about Mary and Joseph heading to Bethlehem and, and what that means at Christmas. Let's bow and pray and thank God for the hope that we have. And let's bow and pray and ask, and I just pray that if you don't know him, that you'll understand the hope that you can have in Christ today. Father, we love you. We thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you that you, Lord, we broke the world and rather than God letting us wallow in it, rather than, rather than uh, Lord, even when we, Lord, felt we were smarter than you, God, when we stiff-armed you, you still pursued us and sent your son. And because of that, we have hope. God, we have hope. God, we're grateful for that hope today. I pray that people who don't know you today would know the God of hope. The God who gives hope. Not just the supplier of hope, but the source of hope. Because you are the God of hope. God, I know people came today with broken hearts, broken hearts over many things. God, stress, tension, chaos in their life, work-related, marriage-related, kid-related, relationship-related. God, I pray that you would help them to look to you, look to Jesus, look to the gospel and have hope. God, thank you that that's what Christmas is all about. Thank you that Christmas, God, is about Jesus Christ who came to earth. God, we don't we know you weren't born on December the 25th. or Lord, we don't, we don't put stock in that. But God, this is the time we set aside to, to celebrate the hope coming to the world, the light shining in the darkness. Help that to change everything we do this year. In Jesus' name.